But I want to jump right into the beginning. Um, I do believe from the beginning in the Bible, um, Genesis 1, 25, uh, 26 and 27, informs us that God created humanity in his image. Um, another definition in the Hebrew is that he modeled humans after himself. Um, we see in Genesis uh, chapter 1, 26, it said, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every crawling thing that crawls on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, like a lot of passages of scripture, you can infer a lot of things from it. But today, I just want to highlight really quickly three quick things that we can infer from this passage of scripture. And then I want to jump into, I want to set this as the foundation before we really jump into what I, I believe we're supposed to talk about today. The first thing that we can infer from this scripture, and I believe it's very important, is this, is that I was designed to act and exist like God acts and exists. The first act that we see from God really informs us a lot about ourselves. If God modeled us after his likeness and he molded us to be like him, then we are supposed to function like him. In Genesis 1, the very first verse says, in the beginning, God created. So the first thing that I can infer from this passage is that I was designed to act and exist like God. And one of the very first things that it informs me about myself is that I am created creative. This was a tough one for me, and I, I kind of laughed at God when he asked me to do this. I'm like, man, you really like to use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. <laughs> like, I'm the foolish thing. Um, last year, I was in um, Rebecca's office, and I was talking, and one of the things I've said this my whole life, and if you know me personally, it's funny for me to talk about creativity because I've always said that I'm not very creative, and I've had a lot of friends that rather laugh it off or some that's like, that's not true. Um, But Rebecca last year, she asked me a question, and questions can be so powerful because I'd never thought through it like this. She goes, why do you, I said it to her, and she says, why do you think you're not creative? And I said, that's a good question. I said, I think it's because I don't produce the type of things that I enjoy to consume. So I don't think that I'm creative. And she goes, but have you considered that you produce things that other people like to consume? And I was like, "Mm, no. She was like, I'm like, like what? She was like, like messages. I was like. People like those? Like, <laughs> I didn't know. Like, that's crazy. Um, that, was, that was news to me. That was really cool. I'd just come up here and pray and preach and leave, and I hope that it was good for somebody. But, so that, but that conversation was really helpful because it, it made me start really digging in and looking at how we were made. And, um, and so by nature, you are created creative. And we're going to get into why sometimes that creativity doesn't come to full expression. But all of us were created creative. The second thing we can infer from this passage is that I am not God. And that's a really healthy, like, starting place for any message is that I am not God. God created us in his image, but the scripture doesn't say that he cloned himself or reproduced himself. We are not God. We are like God. We are to function and exist in a similar way, but we're not God. That's really important because if we don't establish that, We will develop behaviors and habits that even though we would never say it out loud, we begin to function as if we were God. The third thing that we can infer from this passage is that if I want ultimate satisfaction in my life, I must pursue what satisfies God. If I'm created in God's image, then the thing that feeds God is what feeds me. 
You ever notice that when your car is low on fuel, it doesn't have a smoothie light that pops up? Now, I believe smoothies are delicious. I spend way too much money on smoothies. But as delicious as smoothies are, when my car is running on empty, I can't put a smoothie into my car. I mean, I could, but my car is not going to continue to function properly. And our car knows that. And it's funny because technology, as it increases and grows, our, our watches and our, our cars, our phones are, e- are able to kind of even tell us things about ourselves. I don't have a smart watch. My wife does, and I've got some friends that do. And occasionally, if they're running around, the watch will say, hey, you've, you've been moving a lot. You might need to rest. Cars nowadays, are, they're pretty advanced, and it'll say, hey, you've been driving for a while. Maybe pull over and get something to eat. But I, the amazing thing is none of the alerts about the car for itself are ever going to involve food, at least not the type of food that you and I eat. The car or the phone or the watch, when it gets low, it's going to tell you one thing. I need electricity. This is what I live on. This is what I need to sustain me. And one of the really unique things that's happened within the last couple of years with some smartphones is that they even have a sense of the atmosphere now, the temperature. And if I leave my car, my phone in the, the dash of the car, um, If it gets too hot, it will say, hey, I can't function for you right now. I've got to cool off. The temperature is too hot. Wait until the atmosphere is a little more conducive for me to produce before you try to use me. Because when I start to function in the way that you need me to function, I automatically get hot and I start producing. And if I try to produce in this atmosphere, it's too hot and something can go wrong. I can break. Damage can be done. And so I've got to wait until I'm in an atmosphere conducive for my productivity. And normally this isn't a statement I would make, but in this instance, we can learn from our devices. (laughs) They don't ever deceive themselves on what they need to survive. But how often do we feel like we can run on something other than the very things that satisfies the nature in which we were created, which is worship to the almighty God? What ends up happening is if we pursue life outside of the model of God himself, it will drain us of the very life that we are trying so desperately to find. And our only reward for that will be frustration because nothing created us outside of him. And so nothing knows how to feed us outside of him. With this as our foundation going forward, the title of this message is Peculiar for a Purpose. Peculiar for a Purpose. I believe at some point every single person in this room or watching the live stream or who may view this at a later date has certainly had this thought. I feel different and I am not sure that I can explain to anybody how or why. This feeling can be very isolating but I believe that God designed us this way because it helps us make a clear decision. We will confide in him to be informed on who we are or we will bury our uniqueness in an effort to relate. If we do not confide in God, we will confide in something or someone. And when we tell the world that we are hungry, it will feed us something. And when we say we'd like to be entertained, it will show us something. And at some point, 
our desire to worship because we were created to worship. Our desire to worship will reveal itself. And at some point, the world will provide something for us to bow to. And this ends up being where our creativity can stall, because with one moment, we will say that we serve God. But with another moment, we are bowing down to something else in an attempt to fill the void of creativity that we're not finding at the feet of Jesus. And this is where our creativity stalls, because if we claim that, but we're bowing to the world, nothing will stunt the growth of creativity in your life like breaking the first commandment. And if you're one of those people who are heavy on the new covenant, just so you know, the new covenant first commandment is the same as the old covenant first commandment. That one didn't change. It was so important that when, God summed, when Jesus summed up all of the commandments in two, the first one stayed the same. You shall, not, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. The old covenant said, don't have anything before God. It's the same thing. And if we feel like we are in a place in our life where we're not producing something that other people are able to consume, then we have to check our foundation. Am I in an atmosphere that's conducive to my productivity? And am I truly loving the Lord thy God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, and with all of my mind? I want to take the next few moments and highlight two areas in which God has called us to be peculiar. And I want to talk about the purpose behind it. I think very often in church we get this sense that I'm different and God's calling me to be different and walk different and act different. But I believe sometimes we lose sight of the why he's doing it. Because he's not, he didn't call you to be strange and you didn't have those thoughts at some point. Why am I the way that I am? Why do I feel like a certain thing that I can't really explain to people and he didn't give you that for no reason he didn't make you strange just for strange sake he made you strange because somebody needs your type of strange somebody needs your type of creative so we're going to talk about the purpose and my prayer today is that if we focus on the why of my uniqueness I will be reinvigorated I will be revived into be the creative type of person the unique type of person the peculiar type of people that God created me to be The first thing I want to talk about is walking different. I walk different. So the question is, what is the purpose of walking different? And the answer I believe, and we're going to talk about it and look at an example here in Scripture, but it allows me to identify God's priorities for my life. The purpose of walking different is it allows me to identify God's priorities for my life. Luke chapter 2 is an amazing chapter, and most every year, a lot of people probably in this room go through that chapter around Christmas time, at least the first part, because it's the the Christmas story. But I love this chapter because um, it's the only chapter that um, gives us information on the life of Jesus before he began his adult ministry. If you've ever noticed, there's very little bit in the Bible on Jesus before he was an adult. It was like it just fast forwarded. But here, we get a little glimpse, and I believe this glimpse can help us learn a lot. Even adolescent Jesus was teaching us some lessons. And so the Bible tells us um, in Luke chapter 2 that the Mary and Joseph was going to the Passover festival as they did every single year. 
The Bible says that they stayed the whole time and enjoyed the whole festival as normal and that they were on their journey home. And the Bible says they left assuming Jesus was with them, and, but Jesus, the Bible says, stayed behind. And it wasn't until a day later that they noticed that Jesus was gone. Now, I know if you read through this quickly or you've heard this before, maybe you haven't really studied this, you're like, you just how do parents, they have one child, how'd they lose <laughs> their one child? But to kind of make sense of this, in that time, they would have traveled in a caravan. And so it would have been extended family and friends, and they would have traveled with hundreds, maybe even thousands of people for, at, at a time. And so the distance from Jerusalem to where they lived was about 80 miles. And so it was a three-day journey. And so very often, once they started leaving, you know, everybody kind of checked on everybody and made sure everybody was there. And it wasn't until a day in that they realized Jesus wasn't there. So the Bible says they searched their family and their friends, and they found out they wasn't there. And then the Bible says they make the journey back. So it's two days, and they search for the city, and then they end up finding Jesus on the third day in the temple. And the Bible says that they were very anxious, <laughs> as uh, any parents might be when you can't find your only child. And he kind of is supposed to be the redeemer of the world. I guess that's kind of really a big deal to lose that one. Like, if you have a couple kids, you know there's one you might can lose. I don't know how much they're going to do. I'm playing. I'm playing. I got four kids. They're all special. They're all special. Um, <laughs> they are. But um, they, they felt like they really messed up. And then Mary and Joseph, they finally find Jesus. And he's in the temple. And they're like, hey, and they, Mary says, why did you do this to us? <laughs> and this is a great question. And an adolescent Jesus, learning in the temple with all of the grace and wisdom, I hope that this verse hits home. As he says, Luke 2, verse 49, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? I believe Jesus in this moment is offering an invitation for reflection on everything that has transpired in your life up to this point. Mary and Joseph, do you not remember that an angel showed up and told you that God favored you and that you would miraculously have a son? And Mary, soon after, the Holy Spirit would overshadow you and that morning sickness would kick in and you would know that I was real in your stomach? Do you remember that you traveled to see your Aunt Elizabeth? And when you showed up with me in your womb, she felt the spirit of God all over her. And even the baby in her womb, John, flipped. And she began to worship God. And after she worshiped God, you worshiped God. That wasn't a normal family reunion, Mom. And do you remember that when you gave birth to me in the gross place where all the animals were, and even though it was gross, it was perfect because the angels revealed themselves to some of the poorest and roughest people in the area, the shepherds. But because of this revelation, the shepherds rejoiced and worshiped the Lord and began to tell the area what was going on. Do you remember that when I was just an infant, you took me to the house of the Lord to dedicate me and a man named Simeon showed up because the spirit revealed to him that he would get to see the Lord who would bring salvation before he died. And he held me and he began to prophesy to you, mom and dad, about what I would do. And then the prophet Anna came up and she began to worship God as well. 
Do you remember, Mom, that the Magi came to see me when I was just a toddler, but they brought me gifts fit for a king, and they bowed down, and they worshipped me? Mom, all of this did not happen so that I could do what everybody else does and go where everybody else goes. God made me peculiar for a purpose. Didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? And I want to move on, but I think it's important for us to take just a moment and not just glance over everything that God has brought us through in our life. It's time in this moment. Can you just think about some of the things that should have taken you out? Some of the decisions that you made and God's hand was still there guiding you. Even when you messed it up, he was guiding you and you felt his spirit telling you not to give up that he has a plan. And if you are in this room, if you are watching online today or another day, can I remind you? that you are here for a purpose. This is not by accident. He has been guiding you your entire life. I have to prioritize the will of my father so I walk different so that I can find out and end up in the places that will help mold me for the destiny that God has created me to fulfill. And the second area I would like to highlight is that we are called to fight different. We are called to fight different. And the purpose of fighting different is that it reveals who I'm loyal to. It reveals who I am loyal to. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 says this. I love Paul. Now, Paul is, the history of Paul is really important when, knowing his background before you read this. Paul is a man who had a radical transformation. So we have to receive these words from somebody who was radically changed, like the type of person who is not the same person that you used to know. And so Paul used to go around boldly murdering God's people. And now God has called him to boldly preach the gospel. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1, we see this. He says, now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold towards you when absent. I asked that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I intend to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage battle according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying arguments and all arrogance raised against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Another translation says, some of you think we live by the standards of this world. Some of you think we live by the standards of this world. And in this passage, we can feel the tension in Paul's voice. 
Paul is somebody who used to not care about confrontation. He didn't care about you, how you felt, literally, because he was probably going to kill you. But now he's dealing with this, this spirit of boldness that God uniquely gave him, created him. But he, he doesn't want to confront you in a way that makes you feel like he's trying to kill you anymore. Because really, he's trying to bring you life. But I love that we see this tension in Paul because we see that there is something that Paul says, this is worth being confrontational about. That you are calling God Lord, but you are living according to another standard. You are calling God your father in heaven, but you fight the way the world fights. And Paul said this, I don't, I hope you, I hope this sinks in before I get there because I want to be really gentle with you, but if you don't get this right, I got to get up in your face. This is really important. Because the standard that God set for your life is not so that you can find out all of the rules that he wants to use to boss you around. It's so that you can discover the creative design that he has placed within you to answer the questions that all of us have at some point about ourselves. Why am I the way that I am? And it is the rules that God puts in place that helps you discover those things. In the same way that none of us get upset when we sit down to play a board game and we go over the instructions. If we sat down to play Monopoly and we said, hey, no rules this time. Well, the person with the longest arms that's really fast is going to win. It's just going to take all the money. Or you're just going to fight. And then it turns into a different game. It's the rules that help govern the game that help the people who know how to play the game discover their intelligent creativity. And then they win within the rules of the game. And God designed everybody. The Bible says that God put eternity in the hearts of men. We were designed to figure this thing out according to the rules that he has set up for us. And we do not fight the way the world fights. Ultimately, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He looks for ways to kill. He looks for ways to steal from people. And he looks for ways to destroy people. God is the creator, however. He creates. He sustains. And he is the guiding light of life. If you are a follower of God, and you have declared him to be Lord of your life, yet you feel like people are your enemy, you are double-minded, and you lack stability, according to James 1.8. You cannot serve God and fight people. This doesn't mean that you'll never have to confront people, but it does mean that your confrontation, in your confrontation, you'll never treat them like the enemy. People are not the enemy. The Bible says we wage war in the spirit. We see this double-mindedness in Peter's life. Peter, the day Jesus was sent to be handed over, betrayed by Judas, they're having a conversation and Jesus is saying, I'm going to get turned over tonight. And Peter's like, no, nah, no way, God. Listen, I am your ride or die. You go to jail, I go to jail. They try to kill you, they're going to kill me first. I'm with you till the end, no matter what. You're my guy. And Jesus is like, 
Okay, Peter, I love you, man. But yeah, even tonight, like in the next few hours before the day's over, you're going to deny me three times. Peter's probably left in bewilderment because I'm sure Peter meant what he said. But a few hours later, the Bible says he had denied Jesus twice. And I love the Bible because it, is, it gives little details. It said, and about an hour went by. So this wasn't like a quick fast. He was really pressured, really pressured, and he just said it three times. No, no, no. He denied Jesus twice. And it says about an hour later, another person came up and said something again. In most translations, it says not only did he deny Jesus again, it says he called curses down. He said, no way do I know this man. Then the rooster crows and Peter remembers a part of what Jesus said. And the Bible says he went outside and he wept bitterly. Peter was double-minded because although he clearly loved God, I don't believe he was lying when he told Jesus how he felt, that he would fight for him and he would, he would go to jail for him. I, Peter, in that moment, believed that. But Jesus was able to see something in Peter that Peter didn't see for himself is that Peter did not yet understand his peculiarity. He didn't understand how to fight. Peter, you've been fighting your whole life. But you have not yet learned to fight the way that I fight. And until you learn to fight the way that I fight, you're going to be unstable. And because Peter had not yet accepted the Lord's way, the Messiah's way, he hadn't bowed his will in this area of his life to fight the way God said to fight. When the pressure came, it came out that he was not who he thought he was. And some of us have been put in pressurized situations. And sometimes what comes out is not what we had hoped would come out in that situation. And so I ask, do you fight the way God is asking us to fight? Are people your enemy? Or are you able like our Savior, even when people are spitting and cursing at you, to say, Father, forgive them. That's the spirit. They don't know what they're doing. We fight different. There certainly are several areas in which we can look at how God designed us to be different and the reasons behind them. But for time's sake... I just wanted to look at a couple today. But if you look through all of Scripture, you can find reasons of God calling us to talk different or even to love different. These are all fascinating studies, and Scripture doesn't just tell us that God is asking us for a different standard, but it does give us examples of why he's holding us to this standard. And I have to be honest, as we get ready to close... Being peculiar brings a great deal of pain into every individual who says yes to God. The life of the peculiar often must take the road of most resistance. 
very contrary to what any of us naturally would pick for ourselves. Matter of fact, we can program our GPS, avoid tolls, avoid wrecks, take me around the shortest path, but I want the smoothest drive and let's get there the fastest. Boop. <laughs> and that's how we want our life to be. But how many of you have set your GPS that way and then at some point you realize there's just no way around this wreck? And depending where you're going, sometimes there's just no way around that toll. You got to pay. No matter how you try to set your life up without resistance, God is going to put that resistance in your life. And sometimes you're going to realize no matter how comfortable I want my life to be, God has set me up for a path that has a lot of resistance on it. But God, in his unique and creative way, uses his backward methods very much to accomplish his will. Because it's the path of all of this pain that conceives power in us. Why? Why Mary? Why the person who's apparently been doing everything right have to be the one that looks like she did something wrong? If you feel like you're on the path of most resistance this morning, I want to encourage you. He's trying to impregnate you with power. She done everything right, but she's the one who looks like she had a baby out of wedlock. How do you explain? No, seriously, I, it didn't. It was supernatural. The spirit. Uh, uh, uh. Run, hide. She's acting like she's done something wrong. She has to live a life of resistance. She's like she's a fugitive, but really, she's favored of God. And you may look at your life and you're like, God, in so many ways, I trust you and I serve you. Why does it feel like I'm a criminal? It's because power cannot be conceived in comfort. And what he has created you to do, unfortunately, but fortunately, involves pain for you to maximize that gift that he's placed inside of you. God, why must I go through this? Because there is someone who needs to feed off of the creativity that you produce. And unless you go through pain, you won't be able to produce it. I have you stand on your feet with me. You are peculiar for a purpose. You are peculiar for a purpose. And today, I just want to pray with you for just a moment and give you a moment to reflect on everything that's happened up in your life up to this point and allow you to ask God, hey, God, were you really there when this happened? 
So he can say, yeah, I was, I was there. And I'm here now. And I've been here all along. And you've got to trust me that nothing you have been through will be wasted. Nothing you've been through will be wasted. It caused you pain, but it's going to give you power to deliver somebody out of that very pain that you went through. You are peculiar for a purpose. And if you try to find the why from any other source other than me, you will always be trying to find something to fill you up. I am the answer. It is doing my will that will satisfy you. I designed you to be satisfied in me because I wanted a relationship with you. And I'm so creative that when you have a relationship with me, you will naturally produce the things that feed the people around you. If you're in this room and you say, I have been looking, I have been searching for an identity outside of Christ, but I would like to express my faith in him today. I'm going to count to three, and if you would, you can wave at me, and we're going to pray together that you would be accepted into the family of God. All you have to do is believe. He says you can be a part of the family today, and you can discover the identity. There is only one person who truly knows how to sustain you. There's only one person who can answer the questions in your mind and in your heart. Three different times Jesus was having conversations and people had ill intent in their heart. And he says, the Bible says he answered the thoughts in their heart. Only God can do that. And even when they were being wicked, he knew the thoughts in their heart. He said, why do you entertain evil? The battle for your soul starts in the thoughts and in your heart. Don't entertain that. Take it captive. This is how we fight over here in the kingdom. Take it captive. Because you won't want to fight a person if you don't first fight them in your mind. So if you're under the sound of my voice or you're online today and you want to make that decision and you say, hey, listen, I want to fight different. I want to make God the Lord of my life. You can just wave at me real quick and we will agree with you in prayer if that's you. One, two, three. Just wave at me. Just wave at me. Thank you, God. I see that hand. Thank you, Father. I see that hand. Church, let's pray together with those who lifted their hands. Dear Father, thank you that you see me, that you created me, and that you molded me to be like you, to feed the way you feed, to love the way you love. Thank you that today I am making a decision that you will bring to completion. If I put my faith in you, you will complete the job. My faith is in you. You are the Lord of my life, and I am peculiar 
for a purpose. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Church, can we celebrate with those who lifted their hands and made a decision today? That's why we come. That's why we come.